Welcome back, Bronze. We are here today to continue our tale of the Mad Max novelization. Where we last left off, Jim the Goose, he, he bought the farm, as they say. As they say, Jim the Goose bought the farm. He he was uh he was taken out. Um we got a lot more sort of context behind the motivations and the, the how and the why and the who. Um, <clears throat> a lot more is explained in the novelization. We get we get that internal monologue that really sort of shows us what it is that uh what that is that is happening that allows for this to happen, that sort of thing. So here we are now at chapter 13. They brought word to Max in the early evening. He was at home with Jesse when the patrol car pulled up to the front door. The way Roop and Charlie swung their bodies out of the machine let him know that something was terribly wrong. They told they told him in the privacy of the lounge room, be, uh, beginning haltingly and then letting all their hate and fear pour out with the story. They cut across each other, added pieces out of sequence, guessed at things which they didn't know, and mixed it up with the terror that they now felt touching their lives. But Max didn't care about that. He drew from their account enough of the facts to understand when the cops and the fire brigade finally reached the scene of the wreck, they'd found the brake drum in the cabin. They'd searched the surrounding area and came across matches, came across the matches Johnny had dropped in his nervousness, and they'd taken down the descriptions of the three bikers seen leaving. Why isn't that working? Oops, there we go. Oops. Ah. A little too sensitive, leaving the scene. And they had to spend more than an hour getting what was left of Jim out of the cabin. Wow, it's really grisly. A lot more grisly than what is implied in the film. Although, I mean, listen, we see his his severed hand. So, I mean, that's... That, forget about it, you know. Max didn't need Charlie and Roop to tell him what had happened. He knew that they'd scrambled down the hillside and stared at Jim trapped in the cabin, and he knew that they'd thrown a match to it. When Roop and Charlie had finished, when they'd run out of all their hate and Max had succeeded in dragging himself back from the terror inside that fiery cabin, they sat there in the darkness and silence. There was no longer any need for the words. There was a bond between them now which would never be broken. They had shared in something so horrifying, fearsome, because of the danger it held for their own lives, that none of them ever wanted to be alone again. The minutes dragged into hours, and the stars climbed through the night sky, and a full moon cast a magic silver streamer across the ocean. Jesse had heard enough of the conversation drifting through the house to know that Jim the Goose had been murdered. She moved quietly now, wondering if Calamine had been told, too scared to ring in the case too scared to ring in case she hadn't she had the sensitivity not to speak or turn on the lights as she took coffee to them only stopping to squeeze max's arm before gliding back out of the room later much later they left the car rumbled slowly quietly down the driveway and out into the night max sat on in the room when jesse came to him he was miles away she sat with him until the sun started to lighten the eastern sky lifting a veil of darkness along the horizon 
and paling the stars into insignificance. But the promise of a new day did nothing to roll back the darkness which had settled on Max's spirit. Carefully, he disentangled himself from Jessie's sleeping body. Gently, he laid her back on the couch and walked out into the morning. The dew soon saturated his sneakers and the bottoms of his jeans as he walked across the gentle hills and dales surrounding his home. All the time he was climbing higher, following the corrugations of the land, but making his way onto the top of the range. He clambered across, <clears throat> broke down fences, stopped now again, now and again to watch a crow circle in the sky, and dreamt of a world far away from the terror of the road. For minutes at a time, he would forget about Jim and the charred body, which remained. Then the memory would rush back at him, taking him by surprise and reopening the wound with a vengeance. He came back in a wide, sweeping arc, walking along the ridge, staring out at the endless blue ocean, which folded around the hills for miles up and down the coast. Jesse saw him, a tiny, lonely finger, figure, 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 with shoulders hunched and hands plunged in his pockets when he was still a long way from the house. She pulled on a t-shirt and jeans and set off up on the hill. When they met, when they met, uh, sorry, I lost my place for a minute. Uh, so sorry, so sorry. When they met, she didn't say a word, just pull, put her arms around him and hugged him as if she would never let go. He slipped his arm around her waist and began to walk with her. I mean, those last two pages were just so much filler. Like, in, in such a short book, do we really need that much filler? He slipped his arm around her waist and began to walk back with her. Finally, he began to tell her a little of what was going on inside his head. I just can't get it clear. He was so full of living, Jess, and now there's nothing. One minute, there's some... Someone with so much vitality, power, bursting with energy. And the next, there's just nothing, an empty shell. But where did those things go? Hey, honey, she began and then stopped as she saw the tears welling up in his eyes. Anger bit through her. We're going away from this, Max, she said, voice firm and heart aching. Our life is no good. Bodies get broken, lives wrecked. The people we love ripped apart, shattered for nothing. Max said nothing. He could offer no defense, and nor did he want to. He put his arms around her, and she thought that she heard a sob strangled in his throat. So, I mean, like, <clears throat> oh, this is what gives us the impetus for Max to, you know, run off with Jesse, right? Like, they run off together and, you know, uh, go up to the farm, and we meet the Dark One, and, and that starts the, the final, that puts the final pieces into play. But I also kind of wish, I mean, they totally excise Max. Like, there's something that is so grisly about, like, you know, Jim being, Jim is still alive in the movie, you know? Like, he's still, he's still alive. He's in that, like, weird incubator tent. And, I mean, he's, for all intents and purposes, he is dead. But, like, spiritually and physically even if he's still technically being kept alive by machines in the same way that Jesse was technically still alive after her accident and she wouldn't be alive for very much longer, but they were talking. I mean, she was still alive when, when the doctors were talking and Max had been catatonic in the hallway for hours. Um, 
point being is, you know, uh, so I, I guess it's, it is a filler chapter, but at the same time, it kind of, you know, it folds into, you know, something that is of significance that is important. And then we do get a chapter. I'm about to say, I'm reading the first page of this chapter right now. And I see that this is absolutely in, in the movie. Chapter 14, Max found McAfee at headquarters late that afternoon. He walked along the endless corridors past uniformed men behind desks working on never-read reports, strode through the main assembly hall used now only by the social club to screen movies and into the executive wing. The only things distinguishing the executive offices from the rest of the building were the carpet on the floor and, if you look closely, the superior wood paneling on the doors. There was a quieter air about the wing, but Max had long ago decided that it was only because very little happened behind the doors to disturb the peace. He was immediately shown into McAfee, who sat behind a desk far too small for his imposing for his imposing bulk. I, you know, Roger Ward is the perfect perfect casting for McAfee. Okay, Max, I haven't got any time to muck around. What is this all about? Max didn't say anything, just quietly pushed a piece of paper across the desk at him. McAfee left it lying where Max had put it. What's that? He growled. I'm through. Again? McAfee asked, not bothering to conceal a sneer in his voice. Not again. I'm quitting. The two men sat and stared at each other. McAfee realized with a shock that Max's eyes were dead. The customary glint was gone. For the first time that morning, it dawned on him that Max was at the end of his tether. In a gentler tone, he continued, It's Jim Goose, isn't it? Max snapped back at him. I didn't come to discuss it. I came to tell you one thing. I'm finished. Now just a minute, Max. We've all taken it hard. You don't have to you don't have exclusive rights to being upset, to being disgusted, to being afraid. McAfee watched closely for Max's reaction, hoping to get a denial from him, a re a reaffirmation of his bravery that he could use as a wedge to convince him to withdraw his resignation. But Max didn't rise to the bait. He just sat here looking flatly at his chief, knowing that his bravery had never been or had been and wasn't now in question. Max rose to his feet and pushed the letter further across the desk. All right, Max. So the goose bought it because that's the way he came into the world. That's that's from the movie. That's off beam, chief. He'd be the first to admit that it was long overdue. The chief's voice rose a fraction. Way off beam, chief. It wasn't overdue that some madman throws a match into your petrol tank. Got a good point there, Max. Got a good point. What do you want, Max? You want me on the floor begging you to stay? You want me to start crying and telling you that I don't know what the hell I'm going to do out there on the road without you? That my job's on the line because I know for sure nobody else will also be able to stop these bastards before they get over the state line? Is that what you want? I don't want that, Chief, and you know it. I just want out. I've given this goddamn game the best years, and I'm still alive. But I might not be much longer. That's not much of an explanation. That was exactly the same on the first day you went out there. The only difference is you're much more experienced now, and because of it, much more likely to survive. Well, I'll tell you then, Chief. It's not only Jim. That's just the last straw. If I stay out there on the road much longer, I'm going to be one of them. 
I'll just be a terminal crazy with a bronze shield to say that I'm one of the good guys and I'll die like one of them. Okay, Max, I'll tell you what I'll do. McAfee said with a voice now as smooth as silk. You get lost for a few weeks. You go out and you forget about the Knight Rider, Jim, and the rest of this madness. Grow a beard, shave your head, live in a tree for all I care, and we'll see how you feel when you come back. And, well, if you still feel the same way, then it's okay by me and we'll part as friends. I'm not going to change my mind, Chief. Just get out of here before I decide to come with you, you fool. Goodbye, Chief, Max said as he held his hand out. Get out of it, the Chief said, ignoring him and burying his eyes in some paperwork in the front of him. Max withdrew his hand and turned on his heel. As he reached the door, he heard the Chief's voice boom out behind him. You'll be back! You're hooked, Max, and you know it. The words were still ringing in Max's ears as he walked down the long corridor and threaded his way out of the building. What do you want, Max? You want me on the... Is that it? It just ends. The chapter just ends like that? I, I, I guess so. I guess so. All right, we're going to... Man, this was a short one, but hey, what can I do? We do two chapters every episode. We did our two chapters. So, I mean, that that chapter basically follows like the movie. There's a couple of extra lines inserted in there, but the the context is the same. I mean, I love in in the actual movie, you have like a a beefy shirtless Fief McAfee wearing it with a with a what a, whatchamacallit. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's got a scarf wrapped around his neck and he's chomping on a cigar and he's watering his flowers. It's like it's like tender fury. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's like this big hulking muscle guy. And yet at the same time, he's delicately watering his flowers. Um, it's kind of interesting how, I don't know why these chapters were so, so short, but I guess they were, or maybe I'm just reading too fast or not interjecting enough into them. Um, either which way, we will be back next time with chapter 15 as we inch closer towards the inevitability of Max pushing mad and doing what he needs to in order to take revenge for the fall of his family. Uh, a quick word from our sponsor here at riotstickers.com. If you need stickers, look no further than riotstickers.com. Uh, their stickers are printed on vinyl. They've got a UV coating that protects them from the sun, so you're covered, you're covered from UV protection, and they're waterproof because of the vinyl printing. And uh, you can get a thousand stickers for $79. That is a, a deal you're not going to find anywhere else. That's almost seven cents. That's a little more than seven cents a sticker. Um, go to riotstickers.com backslash from us. Link is down in the description. Not not a deal to miss. Let's uh, let's play out with the video and we'll, we'll see you next time with chapter 15.